Joe Biden is done talking about Afghanistan. The country that we spent 20 years building collapsed within hours. 13 U.S. servicemen were just killed in a deadly terror attack by a new offshoot of ISIS. And according to reports, the Biden administration willingly handed over Kabul to the Taliban before we got our troops out, despite offers from our old allies turned enemies, turned to allies again, the Taliban, to let us run the capital city through the end of the month. People have a lot of questions, but we aren't getting any answers because Joe Biden doesn't want to talk about it. So thank you very much. And thank you, Commissioner. I, I really think it all works. I'm not, I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead. Mr. President, on Afghanistan. I'm not going to answer Afghanistan now. Can you say if there's still an okay. acute risk? Like He's not going to answer it. He's not going to answer it. So disrespectful. And if you think that was disrespectful, just wait until you see what he did at the dignified transfer of our fallen troops. Just wait until you see what his administration did before the fall of Kabul. Our troops can't count on their military leaders. Our military can't count on its political leaders. Day by day, it's getting harder to tell our allies from our enemies. I'm Michael Knowles. It's The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment Friday from Cynthia, who says, what president ever has gotten up and said, they gave me a list of those reporters to call on. And, and I, I, I just do what they tell me. Are you serious? Yes, we are serious. This is what's happening now. People sometimes talk about Donald Trump as a kind of meta president, you know, or a meta politician in that he makes obvious and conscious all the aspects of politics that used to be hidden. You know, he talks about them. He, he, he's very famously said this. He goes, look, they want me to sound presidential. Okay, how's this? Am I, do I sound presidential now? Right? And it's, it's almost like he's doing a stand-up comedy routine about being president. That's all true. I totally buy it. Joe Biden's doing the same thing. He's just doing it in, in, a, in a Joe Biden kind of way. But it's the same exact thing where he says, all right, they gave me a list of people to call on. It's true that in past administrations, the aides will say, okay, you know, here, can you call on this, focus on this person, don't talk to this person, but it's never conscious. And for the, now the past two administrations, and we're talking about both political parties here, it's like the presidency itself is transforming. It's like we're, it's like everything is just unraveling and becoming so obvious. Now, that's what's really conscious. When you are unconscious at night, you're probably going to want to be sleeping on a Helix bed. Helix sleep has a quiz. It takes two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress that were made for someone else? Does that make sense? You could get one that's made for you. That makes a lot more sense to me. With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way that you sleep. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers. Helix is terrific. You don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. You go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles right now. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. It ships for free. It's got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free, and then they'll pick it up if you want them to, but trust me, you're not going to need that. Helix is offering up to $200 off right now, all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Knowles. That is helixsleep.com slash Knowles for up to $200 off and two free pillows. The flagrant disrespect from Joe Biden throughout this entire ordeal is, 
it's getting worse by the day. I, I thought that the, his cavalier attitude with regard to Afghanistan, with regard to the terror attack, with regard to the fallen troops, certainly with regard to talking to the press, I thought that was bad. Then they're at the, the dignified transfer. These are the, the servicemen who were killed in Kabul. They are brought back in coffins, flags draped over their coffins. And you've got the president and other members of the staff and lots and lots of family members with their hand over their heart. And Joe Biden checks his watch. So you've got, you know, he's standing there next to his wife, Dr. Jill, after Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, you got to use his phrase, his, his proper title, and Dr. Jill, and then other members of the staff. And there is Joe with, with members of the family watching. He checks his watch. And you can tell that he wasn't doing anything else because he does it in a way that's really obvious, but he thinks he's being surreptitious in a way that people who are a little bit older often do that. What's he got? Does he have a tea time? Is he late for lunch? He's got his eyes closed during much of this. Something tells me it's not because he's praying. I, I strongly think it's because just as he does during press conferences, just as he does during meetings with foreign officials, he falls asleep. He just, he just fell asleep during the meeting with, with the new Israeli prime minister. Literally in the Oval Office, he just, he start, his eyes start to shut and the, the Israeli prime minister is going on and on about the great relationship with, with Israel. And there is Joe Biden literally asleep in the chair. Hours before that terror attack on last week on Kabul, the army's top sergeant major sent out an important tweet, an important message for the military's priorities. This is Sergeant Major of the Army, Michael Grinston, who wrote, quote, it's a photo of lots of like women, and but some are black and some are Hispanic and some are white. And he says, diversity is a number. Do you have people that don't look or think like you in the room? Inclusion is listening and valuing those people. Hashtag Women's Equality Day reminds us we're smarter and more lethal when we come together as an inclusive, cohesive team. Our values demand it. Our servicemen deserve better leaders than these clowns. Our citizens, our civilians deserve better than these clowns. All of these people should be fired and probably banished to St. Helena. This is what our military is focused on. One, getting more women into the military, more women into combat. Yeah, it's, it's inclusive and more equitable when we send our women to be killed and blown up in the Middle East. That, that makes us a better country, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I don't think so. I think it makes us a worse country. I think it makes us a much worse country. I think it makes us a sick country that we think it is not only tolerable, but good to send our women to be maimed and killed overseas by terrorists and to fight our wars for us. I think that makes us sick in the head and sick in the soul. Moreover, moreover, he's saying diversity. It doesn't just refer to sex, obviously. It refers to race when people talk about diversity. And what he's saying is diversity, when you have people who don't look like you, and the, the only way diversity is ever mentioned is when we're talking about having more black people or more Hispanic people or occasionally more Asian people in some group. It could, if you have an entirely white team, that's not diverse. If you have an entirely black team, it's very diverse. Now, obviously neither of those are diverse in any serious meaning of the word, but diversity just means more black and Hispanic people. Listen to what he's saying. He goes, when we're diverse, we're more lethal. What he's saying is that black people are more lethal than white people. 
If you, if you follow what he's saying to its logical conclusion, he said, if you've got a team of all white people, that's, that's not sufficiently lethal. But when you add black people to it, then it's more lethal. Therefore, the only conclusion could be that, that black people are more violent than white people. Black people are deadlier than white people. But if you said that, if you came out and you said, yeah, man, blacks are much more violent than whites, aren't they? That would be, that would be racist, wouldn't it? I think that would be racist. But then he says it, but he's saying it like, it, like it's good. And he uses the words inclusion and diversity. And so it's, that's anti-racist or something. Then beyond race, you, you've got this idea, you say, you know, when you've got a team of just men, that's not lethal enough. But when you add women, then it's more lethal because the only conclusion could be women are more violent and lethal and deadly than men, which is preposterous. It's just not true because women are not as strong as men physically. They're just not. They're just not. But we, we have to live in this pretend world. So when our operations collapse because of political idiocy, we're just sp- scratching our heads. Gosh, I wonder why. Maybe it's because of people like this, this Sergeant Major and General Milley and all of the other soon-to-be pink-haired top brass at the Pentagon and our political leadership most of all. Because we are viewing the world through a lens of unreality, surreality, fiction and delusion. Is it any wonder when in the real world our plans fall apart? You know who's deadlier right now than, you know, lesbian women, trans, what, I don't know, whatever the, the victim groups are. Do you know who's deadlier? The Taliban, the Taliban. They're deadlier than even the Taliban were two weeks ago. Here's why. We, we talked about early estimates from the sort of equipment or of the sort of equipment that the Taliban stole. Government doesn't want to release these numbers, but some watchdogs have been. Here's what we got. 22,174 Humvees. We've got 155 MXX Pro mine-proof vehicles, 169 armored personal carriers. That's pretty spooky. 42,000 trucks and SUVs, 64,363 machine guns, just machine guns, just full, like pull the trailer, just rips. Over 64,000 of those, 8,000 trucks, 162,000 radios, 16,000 night vision devices. That's very scary. Uh, 358,530 assault rifles. So you're going to ban quote unquote assault weapons that aren't even really assault weapons from American citizens. And then you're going to give hundreds of thousands of them to the Taliban. 126,000 pistols, 176 artillery pieces. Then you've got 33 Blackhawks, 33 MI-17 choppers, 43 other helicopters. Oh, four C-130 transports, just gigantic, massive transport planes, bunch of other planes too. That's who's deadlier right now. Meanwhile, there's a report out now, according to the Washington Post, as a left-wing outlet talking about the left-wing administration. None of this had to happen because apparently the Taliban met with top U.S. military officials in Doha, presumably political officials too, in Doha and Qatar, and offered to let the United States hold Kabul until the evacuation was complete. So the Taliban said, look, we're going to take over the whole country, but you can hold Kabul if you want until you leave. And then there's not going to be any big worry. And the American military said, no, the leaders, not the soldiers, obviously. This was a meeting with the head of the Taliban. So the United States didn't want to have responsibility for securing Kabul. So then the Taliban gave security for Kabul to the Haqqani network. The Haqqani network 
very deadly, dangerous terrorist organization that actually the United States used to fund through the CIA. Get to that in just a second. Absolute madness. So now the United States doesn't run Kabul. Kabul gets attacked. The United States soldiers get attacked and service, other servicemen. And in response, according to a report from CNN now, Biden is just flying planes and planes of Afghans over to the United States, many of whom don't have any documentation whatsoever. We don't know who they are. We don't know if they're from a, a bad group. We don't know if they want to kill us. Just flying them all over. Complete botched job. When you want to get your blood flowing again, when you want to just quench your appetite, when you want to get a little more iron in your blood, I would strongly recommend you check out Good Ranchers. Did you know that over 80% of the grass-fed beef sold in the United States is actually imported from overseas? Sometimes you'll see, they'll, they'll have some kind of mealy-mouthed wording about America or USA on the packaging, but it's not actually from America. Well, the Good Ranchers have traveled the country, our country, this one, on a mission to help the American family by working together with local farms and ranches and shipping straight to your door. Goodranchers.com is a safe and convenient way to order your meat. They save your family money. They help the American farmer. They've got great stuff, better than organic chicken, craft beef. They got T-bones, filet. I love filets, especially strips, probably my favorite cut of meat. Gourmet burgers had those just about a week or so ago. They were absolutely magnificent and they're half the price of online competitors. You get the steakhouse quality you deserve at a price every family can afford. Go to goodranchers.com to buy now or subscribe today. Save 20% on each box of mouth-watering meats. Subscribing brings the cost down to less than five bucks a meal. Plus right now you get an additional 20 bucks off and free express shipping. If you go to goodranchers.com slash Knowles or use code Knowles at checkout, 20 bucks off and free express shipping. Goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Know where your meat comes from with goodranchers.com. Joe Biden, this is according to CNN, by the way. You know, the reason that I keep quoting these left-wing outlets here is because when a left-wing outlet is going after a left-wing politician or policy, it carries more weight than when a left-wing outlet is going against a right-winger or when a right-winger is going after a left-winger for that matter. A ro- quote, this is CNN, arriving Afghans without paperwork prompt delays and security challenges. Some Afghans fleeing their home country have arrived in the United States without paperwork amid the rapid pace of evacuations, according to two sources familiar with the situation. The approach from the administration has been, quote, get as many people on the plane as you can and we'll sort out the immigration visa stuff later. Some people have landed with no documents whatsoever, creating a very challenging work environment for the officers. Cool. What, what could go wrong, right? What could possibly go wrong? Brings me to an important point on our Afghan allies. What a lot of the talk that you're hearing from left-wingers and neoliberals and, and the kind of squish conservative types, the they call them neocons or the imperialist types, the ones who want to just stay in the Middle East forever and continue to bomb various Muslim countries and spread liberal democracy all over the world. You're hearing a lot of talk about our Afghan allies. I'm going to take you on a little trip down memory lane about our Afghan allies, okay? Because I don't know that we can really know who our Afghan allies are, okay? I appreciate people who have helped the United States out over the years there. In 1983, Ronald Reagan welcomed a group of Mujahideen Afghan freedom fighters to the Oval Office. He pointed out that these freedom fighters were fighting the Soviet Union and said the United States was going to support them. 
the United States funneled a lot of money to these Mujahideen freedom fighters over the years, in, in no small part through the Inter-Services Intelligence Agency, which is a sort of state within a state in Pakistan. So through the ISI, and also in other ways, we start funding the Mujahideen freedom fighters. The Mujahideen freedom fighters defeat the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union leaves, and the, the Soviet Union collapses shortly thereafter. At that point, Believe it or not, all these various Mujahideen groups, all of these various Islamist groups that fought the Soviets, the godless atheist Soviets, turns out they weren't so great at forming a government together. So that plunges Afghanistan into four more years of civil war. During that civil war, there were various groups. And even though there were three, four, then five groups, it, it turned out that some of the people fighting didn't think that was enough militants in the conflict. So they formed another group. That other group is called the Taliban. They did that with the funding of the ISI and with the encouragement of Pakistan's ISI. Okay. The Taliban quickly, all of the, not, not all, but virtually all of the Taliban's original leadership, by the way, were people that the United States had funded in the original fight against the Soviets. Okay. Taliban takes over Afghanistan, starts to rise during the early 1990s, and then 1996 declares the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Okay. They rule for about five years. They, they, with the support of our allies in the ISI, harbor Osama bin Laden Osama bin, and Al-Qaeda. Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda attack the United States on September 11th. The United States goes in and deposes the Taliban. The Taliban then goes out and retreats. We Obviously, we stay there for about 20 years. Now, the Taliban is coming back into control so that they, they were our allies and our enemy. They were sort of our allies, then our enemy, then our allies again. Now we get attacked by ISIS. ISIS is a rival Islamic terror group. They just attacked us in Kabul. They're fighting against the Taliban. Now they attacked us because the security in Kabul wasn't good enough. The security in Kabul had been given to the Haqqani network, as I just mentioned, the Haqqani network was one of the largest recipients of CIA funding during the Cold War. So then the Haqqani network turned against us. The ISI and the CIA were funding the Haqqani network until the ISI started paying the Haqqani network to attack the CIA. Are you still following me? Because I'm not. I can't follow me anymore because it's so damn confusing. You've got the Afghan National Army, which the United States had been funding for 20 years. That's the one that just collapsed when the Taliban walked in. But even the Afghan National Army, first of all, was largely comprised or it largely comprised fake soldiers, ghost soldiers, who just existed on paper so that people could get paid, but they weren't real people in real life. There was a, a, a report from the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. It showed that 50 to 75% of Afghan National Army soldiers were high on drugs a lot of the time. When they weren't high on drugs, they were offering stealing things. And in some cases, especially in 2012, they were killing our own soldiers and their fellow Afghan National Army soldiers. There was also, we talk about how awful it is that there are new sexual crimes being perpetrated by the Taliban as they take over Kabul. Well, it turns out the Afghan National Army, the good guys, our allies, were perpetrating huge amounts of sexual violence through a practice called Baka Bazi. This was ritual called boy play. It was ritual pederastic abuse of young boys. There were well over 5,000 reported incidents of this just to the oversight authorities and Almost certainly the problem was much more widespread than that. So please, please, when you're telling me about what we should do in Afghanistan, please spare me the sanctimony over our allies. Because we have no idea who our allies are because there are no allies in Afghanistan, which is not a country. It's not a nation. And our allies change by the day, sometimes by the hour. So yes, we all want to evacuate people who are good guys, who are on our side, who help us out and who want a vision of the world that we do. But that's changed a lot over the years, okay? And I think this is what people's exasperation with our foreign policy in Afghanistan is that we have no idea what we want. 
because it, it, it became one, it, or initially it was this attack to go kill the terrorists who took down the towers. Then it became this, this crusade for nation building and spreading liberal democracy and abolishing tyranny from the world. Those are George W. Bush's words. And then it became what? About sending girls to school or something? And that's why we're going to keep our guys in harm's way? What is it? What is it? A, a sensible foreign policy asks basic questions. What do we want to have happen there now? What do we stand to gain from it? How much are we willing to lose? That's what we have to ask. And all of this claptrap about our allies, the wonderful, amazing, no, look, there are no allies. There are interests in Afghanistan, okay? And the longer it takes us to learn that lesson, the worse off we're going to be. Speaking of allies that we can't rely on, Mitt Romney goes on CNN, naturally. He's talking to Jake Tapper, and he says, you know, this is not really just Biden's fault. It's Trump's fault, too. Leaving Americans behind and leaving our Afghan friends behind who've worked with us uh, would put upon us and will put upon us a, a moral stain. Uh, and this is the result of, of very ineffective decisions, terrible decisions made by the prior administration and by the current administration. This did not have to happen. It was, it was preventable. Uh, and, and let me note, that's very different than the military. Our military came in at the very last moment uh, and has performed admirably, as far as I can tell, to move people out as quickly as possible. But we didn't have to be in this rush, rush circumstance with, uh, with terrorists breathing down our neck. But it's really the, the responsibility of the prior administration and this administration that has caused this crisis to be upon us and, and has led to what is, uh, without question, a humanitarian and foreign policy tragedy. Notice what's missing from Mitt Romney's attack on Donald Trump here. Any specific allegation, any evidence. So he says, look, we didn't need to be in the situation where the terrorists are breathing down our neck. Yeah, that's true. That's, um, that's Trump's fault. Trump's been out of office for eight months. Trump said we'd get out by May. This administration bungled that and didn't get out until late August. So now we have the terrorists breathing down our neck. How's that Trump's fault? Well, we didn't need to be in a rush. 20 years is a rush. That's a rush to you, Mitt Romney. But what, what Romney has to do is say, no, it, look, it's all everyone's to blame. It's no one's fault in particular. And when people say no one is to blame, nothing is to blame. It's everybody. It's all everybody together. What he's trying to do is not change anything. What he's trying to say is, look, no, it's, a, it's everybody's fault. Don't hold anyone accountable. Don't come to any conclusions. We really, we just should have stayed. We just should have stayed another 20 years or another 60 years or another 80 years because Mitt Romney, a court jester conservative, a, a clown whose entire job is to legitimize the liberal regime, he is there to just try to keep this whole thing going. But I, I think, getting back to that comment at the top of the show, the the liberal establishment is, is cracking under the weight of its own incoherence and illogic. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing this sort of fake performative meta presidency in, in Joe Biden, the presidency that always talks about the presidency. Okay. It reveals all the secrets of the presidency. Oh, I'm going to call on the people. They told me I had to call on the people. I'm the president or Donald Trump. But yeah, I got to sound really presidential, don't I? We're, we're seeing it collapse. We're seeing the incoherence of our Afghanistan policy in particular collapse in real time. And speaking of dishonest politicians on CNN specifically, Dr. Fauci goes on CNN on the same show. He goes on Jake Tapper's show. 
And he complains about people attacking him. This guy, talk about dragging out political operations. We've dragged out Afghanistan for 20 years. We've dragged out the 15 days to slow the spread for well over a year and a half now. And Dr. Fauci says, please, please stop attacking me. Right now, you can subscribe and start listening to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. When you sign up for the Daily Wire Reader's Pass, you get the news that no other media outlet covers. If you sign up right now, you'll get a free four-week trial. You'll unlock exclusive access to editorial content that just does not exist anywhere else. After the trial's up, the price is just four bucks a month. So sign up for your Reader's Pass at dailywire.com slash subscribe right now. Hurry, because the four-week free trial ends tomorrow, August 31st. We'll be right back with a lot more. Dr. Fauci can dish it, but he can't take it. Dr. Fauci can lock down our whole country for a year and a half. He can lie to the American people. He can mislead people on the efficacy of various measures. He can change his mind day by day, sometimes hour by hour. But the minute you criticize him, all of a sudden he wilts. He says, I'm not a politician. I'm a scientist. Why are you attacking me? Whoever is attacking me and attacking me, just a reflection of the politicization of what should be a purely public health issue. And it's really unfortunate. You know, they're attacking personally me because I'm a visible person, but I'm merely articulating the proper public health practices that are recommended strongly by an organization. And that organization is the CDC. So they like to pick out a certain person because they could make that person, you know, the personification of political divides, which is so unfortunate, Jake. We should put all of that aside We have an extraordinary problem that's killing people in the United States, killing us, putting us in the hospital. So that kind of politicization that you just mentioned, there's no place for that when you're dealing with a public health crisis. There is no place for politicization. He doesn't pronounce it correctly, but (laughs) that's fine. That just shows you how little he understands about politics and its relation to public policy. He says, there's no place for politicization in public health. Political means public. Public means political. Public health, public health policy is by definition political. Dr. Fauci, a public health expert, policymaker, is by definition a politician. He gets his paycheck from the government. He does things that pertain to the public with the support of the government. And he's outlasted six presidents. He's on his sixth president right now. But he doesn't, he doesn't even, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to ascribe to malice that which is explained by ignorance and stupidity. Fauci doesn't even understand what public health is. We have a problem, Jake. We have a problem of people dying here because of things that are happening in the public. Right. Uh, here, people are dying because of the lockdowns. People are dying because of deaths of despair. People are dying because they can't get their urgent medical treatment that is not related to COVID. They certainly were at the beginning of the lockdowns. And that's on you, Fauci. And that's on you. That I am merely a voice for the proper public health measures. According to whom? Because According to me, look, I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm, I'm a member of we the people who are supposedly able to govern ourselves. And uh, I don't think that your measures are the proper public health measures. I think they're very improper. 
And according to the constitution, I'm supposed to have some say in that. And actually, according to the constitution, you're nowhere to be found other than as a private citizen who can vote. I don't see the CDC in the constitution. I don't see the exalted Dr. Fauci in the constitution. There are entities that have been created and brought into the government through the lawmaking bodies, the lawmaking bodies that were established in the constitution over time. And they've been given extraordinarily, extraordinary powers that have undermined the constitutional order. There's no question about that. But as far as I can tell, we still have the opportunity to decide how we want to live in our view. But in Fauci's view, you don't, you don't, you just need to go along. People, why are they attacking me? Because you've usurped our our power, our legitimate power as a free people. That's why. And he doesn't even get it. It's such, it's a joke to him. He doesn't even understand what he's done, which might be why we don't trust him to understand much of anything else. Speaking of the politics of the coronavirus, you know, I hate to say I told you so. You know, it pains me. I hate it. It's hard, but I, I told you so. Howard Dean, former presidential candidate before he yeehawed himself back out of the 2004 presidential race. Howard Dean, former chairman of the Democratic National Committee. Howard Dean, now former governor of Vermont, now just some guy who talks on MSNBC. Howard Dean busted out a line that I, I told you months and months ago they were going to do. He busted it out a little earlier than I expected. He says, you know, that Donald Trump, he was bad, but oh, he was nowhere as bad as Ron DeSantis. Uh, well, I, I'm actually just shocked by DeSantis. Uh, I never thought I'd say this, but I think he may be more of a lunatic than Trump ever was. I mean, Trump has finally come around to understanding that the best thing he can do for his own supporters is get them to be vaccinated. DeSantis is just completely out of touch with reality. Oh, DeSantis. Oh, he's much, he's like super mega duper Trump. He's, oh yeah. Remember how, do you remember how for the past five years or probably six years now, we've told you that Donald Trump is the singular threat. He is Hitler. He's unlike any other Republican ever. How George Bush, who we used to tell you was Hitler, he, he, George Bush is great now and he's good and he's a reasonable Republican. And I've got a strange new respect for him and all the other Republicans. Well, sure, I disagree with them, but I, they're fine. But Donald Trump, he's the worst. He's a unique threat. He's Hitler. You can't vote for him. So they, they told you that for five years. And, and at the time I said, you know, they don't mean this. Trump's fine. He's governing just like a, like a normal Republican in many ways, actually. He's sort of returning to a more normal Republican vibe, like pre-Bush era. But they're just going to do it to the next guy. And the Democrats assured me. They said, no, we won't, Michael. I told this to my Democrat friends and relatives. I said, you're just going to do it to the next guy. You're going to say the next guy's worse than Trump. <gasps> no, we, Trump is unique. He's the worst ever. I said, no, you're not. You're going to find whoever it is. Maybe that person is going to be, I don't know, Josh Hawley. Maybe, I don't know, it could be Nikki Haley. It could be, and these are various times in the administration. Different characters were popping up a little better than others. It could be Ted Cruz. It could be Ron DeSantis now. It could, whoever it's going to be, you're going to tell me that he is worse than Trump or she is worse than Trump. And I was told, no, Michael, Trump's unit. I think the left really believed it. They really believed the lines that they were spewing that Trump is this unique threat. But now ahead of schedule, now we're not, this is 2021 still. 
We are already being told Ron DeSantis is much worse than Donald Trump. He makes Trump look sane. And you know what's going to happen? Let's say, let's say, the Democrats are obviously afraid of DeSantis right now. Let's say DeSantis becomes the nominee. Who knows? It's still very early to call that, but let's say he becomes a nominee. Let's say he becomes president. And then they're going to, this is what's going to happen. They're going to call him Hitler for four years, or at least as long and it may perhaps they impeach him and remove him from office. Maybe he wins a second term. Maybe it's eight years. They're going to call him Hitler every day for eight years. And they're going to say he's the unique threat. And oh, I miss the good old days of Donald Trump and all the good old days of George Bush and all the good old days of Ronald Reagan, all of whom we called Nazis at the time. And then if, if DeSantis leaves office and some other guy comes, they're going to say DeSantis was the good guy and the new guy's Hitler. That's the way it works. Do you get it yet? Do you see it? I mean, this was, this was my big problem with never Trump or then what became in 20. 20, in the 2020 election, the re-election, they became Republicans for Biden, Republicans for principles, defending democracy and principles and the evangelicals for Biden, evangelicals for a million abortions a year, evangelicals for a debacle in Afghanistan, the dignified adults. At at the time, I said, uh, I don't know what your principles are. You don't seem to have very much dignity and you don't realize it's just an op. This is just propaganda. It's just BS. Trump actually is a very good president, but even if he weren't, he certainly is not the unique threat of Hitler. And they didn't get it. Do you get it? Do you get it now? I think you probably do. Some people are holding strong. Some people who are more independent minded, who are on the left or on the right. I'm thinking of Joe Rogan, who at times seems like a left winger. At times he seems like a right winger. He was a Bernie guy, but then he was a Trump guy. He's not a Biden guy. He's not an establishment guy. Joe Rogan's still holding pretty strong. We're now being told by the Fauci's of the world and all of them that if you in any way resist efforts to mandate the masks or mandate the vaccine, you're a murderer, you're a threat to public health, you're politicizing everything. Well, Rogan's not hearing it. Rogan is, is holding a show at Madison Square Garden. He's sold a zillion tickets already. And now in New York, they're mandating the vaccine, just like they are in parts of Europe. And so Rogan faces this problem. Is he going to force his fans, many of whom have bought tickets already, to get the vaccine? Or is he going to fight back? Here's, here's Rogan's take. If someone has a, you know, an ideological or a physiological reason for not getting vaccinated, I don't want to force them to get vaccinated to see a f- stupid comedy show. And I've already sold 13,000 tickets. And now they say that everybody has to be vaccinated. And, you know, I want everybody to know that, you know, you can get your money back. I'm not I'm not an anti-vax person. Right. In fact, I said I believe they're safe and I encourage many people to take them. My parents were vaccinated. I just said I don't think that if you're a young, healthy person that you need it. Their argument was you need it for other people. So you don't transmit the virus. That makes more sense. So I'm a young. But that's a different argument. Yeah. And, and by the way, what Joe is leaving unsaid here, at least in this little clip, is, okay, so now their argument is you don't need it for yourself because if you're vaccinated, you're totally fine. And, if, you know, you're, you're not going to face serious consequences of the virus. And if you're unvaccinated, you're taking that risk. But if you're unvaccinated, you're risking infecting others. Except that we are now told by the studies, by the science, that the vaccinated and the unvaccinated are carrying similar viral loads, that they might not be as likely to face hospitalization or death, but they are as likely to carry and transmit the virus. 
So then do you see the problem here for the people saying you need to get vaxxed for others? Whether you're vaxxed or unvaxxed, you may very well carry the virus and transmit it to others. The thing that's going to determine whether you go to the ho- whether anyone goes to the hospital or dies, according to the science, according to the experts, according to the politicians, is whether or not you have the vaccine. So it falls right back to this question of personal choice, personal prudential judgment. What risk am I going to take? As Joe Rogan correctly says, if you are a young person, you are at a very, very low risk of facing serious complications of the virus. If you're a morbidly obese 85-year-old, maybe you're at a higher risk, okay? Maybe you're going to have a different calculation. But if you're a young person, the arguments that the, the, the people who are mandating vaccines are making don't make any sense. They don't make any sense at all. And so Rogan, uh, hat, hats off to him. He's saying, you know, if I don't, I don't feel comfortable mandating that my audience gets the vaccine. So you, you can have your money back. Now, Eric Clapton is going even further than that. Clapton's saying he will not play at venues because Eric Clapton had the vaccine. He, so he was open to it. It's not like he's totally anti-vax. He was open to it. He had a very negative reaction. We know the CDC and the FDA have told us that you can have negative reactions to this vaccines. There have been, to these vaccines, there have been multiple reported incidents of them. And Clapton said, yeah, it really paralyzed my hands. I couldn't play for a while. So I'm not playing to houses that are mandating the vax. Rogan is taking a sort of middle ground here. And he's saying, look, I'll, I'll play, I guess, especially since we booked the show before the, the city mandated this. But I'm, there is no way I'm forcing my guys to get this vaccine. Absolutely right. We are living in a world right now where you can't trust the president of the United States. You can't trust the military leadership. They've all lost their freaking minds. You can't trust the public health experts because they've been wrong about a lot of stuff and in some cases have lied to you. You're living in a world where Joe Rogan is a much more credible person than most of our elected and appointed leaders. Speaking of performances, Olivia Rodrigo. Olivia Rodrigo is apparently a popular musician. I had never heard of her until a month or two ago when there was some story about something she had done. And I don't even remember what she had done. I, apparently she's a very popular musician, has had a bunch of number one songs. And yet I don't, what do I know? I'm not, this is not the sort of person that I pay attention to. But I've now heard of her for the second time. And this is not because of any music she's made. It's because of something she said. She said in a, in a magazine interview, quote, I sometimes get DMs from little girls being like, I've never seen someone who looked like me in your position. And I'm literally going to cry, like just thinking about it. Rodrigo, 18, said in the V Magazine feature, I feel like I grew up never seeing that. Also, it was always like pop star. That's a white girl. So first of all, this girl looks pretty white. I don't, you know, I guess she's Hispanic with a name like Rodrigo, but she looks pretty white to begin with. And she's she's using this line that you you constantly hear from the race hustlers and and the, the victim people. And it says that, you know, growing up, I never saw, oh, she's Filipino. Apparently the producer's telling me she's Filipino. Okay, whatever. She just, she looks, oh, I wouldn't know. She's ethnically ambiguous. Let's put it that way. But apparently this is the defining feature of her personality, of who she is. And she comes out and says, you know, it's, I never saw people who looked like me and the little girls today never see anyone who looked like them. Now, some people are responding and saying, hold on, lady. Um, Ella Fitzgerald, Aretha Franklin. Uh, hold on. I pretty sure we've seen some black popular musicians or Hispanic popular musicians before. And, or at least in, I guess, 
to go to her example, non-white popular musicians. But I want to be really fair. Okay. Cause she said pop star. She said pop stars were always white. So yeah, sure. Maybe soul singers, R&B, hip hop, jazz, maybe they're black, but we've never seen non-white girl pop stars, right? So I took a little, I just took a little trip down Google, looked up uh, this girl, Olivia Rodrigo was born in 2003, apparently. 2003, Grammy for pop vocalist winner, Nora Jones, Indian woman. Grammy for pop album goes to Norman Brown, the black guy. Grammy for pop vocal collaboration, Santana, Hispanic, and Michelle Branch, Indo. 2004, this is the next, she's one year old now. Pop vocalist, Christina Aguilera, Hispanic. Pop collaboration, Mary J. Blige. 2005, Nora Jones wins a bunch again, uh, Indian woman, including one with Ray Charles, who's a black guy. 2006, this is all in the pop category. Stevie Wonder is a winner. De La Soul is a winner, black guys. 2007, Christina Aguilera is a winner. Black Eyed Peas winner. Stevie Wonder, Al Jarreau. For this girl's entire life, it has seemed, if you're just looking at the billboard charts and you're just looking at the Grammys, there is no reason for any non-white girl to think it is impossible to become a big pop star if you're non-white. Frankly, you would be more likely to think that if you were a white girl during this era. You, you might, if you were a white girl during this era, you might look at the pop charts and think, man, a white girl just can't make it in this world. <laughs> this is not the industry for white girls looking at, but, but because we are living in surreality, we're living in unreality, we're living in a delusion right now. Many people believe this. We are living in a delusion. The White House is living in a delusion. The top military brass is living in a delusion. All of us here in the culture are living in a delusion and delusions have consequences because delusions run up against reality sometimes in Kabul, in the United States. And when delusions run up against reality, reality wins. And it's not, it's funny. I mean, we can make fun of Rodrigo or who, who we can make fun of Mark Milley, you know, the, the pink haired woke chairman of the joint chiefs. We can make fun of that sergeant and sergeant major. We can make fun of Biden. But there are real world consequences here. There's a Virginia school district right now. We're getting ready for the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terror attacks. A Virginia school district is telling a teacher, telling not just one teacher, but all of their teachers, to avoid talking about Muslim terror. Virginia's Department of Education, the whole statewide Department of Education, hosted a speaker who instructed teachers to exclude the role that Muslim extremism played in 9-11. This woman, Amara Dequeer, who did a PowerPoint called uh, Education Leadership. Oh, I'm sorry. This woman is an education leadership scholar. She offered a PowerPoint to these teachers. She said that teachers should avoid using language that could pin those events on Muslim extremists. Quote, school and classroom 9-11 commemorations are sites for, anti, for increased anti-Muslim racism. Do you see the problem even with just that statement? Muslim is not a race. Islam. It's not a race. It's a religion. And it is the religion in whose name the terrorists took down the Twin Towers. And it wasn't senseless violence and it wasn't racist. We now say all bad things are racist. It wasn't any of that. It was religious. They had ideas and they followed those ideas 
to their logical conclusion. They had erroneous ideas. They had delusions and they followed those delusions into reality. And it had really negative consequences. Before we go, speaking of crazy teachers, can't, I can't go a full day without a libs of TikTok video featuring a teacher who just came out as non-binary. I'm about to come out to all my students. So I have a quick announcement for everybody. Can everybody look up from their phones? My class is important, please. Hello. I'm waiting. You guys look at me. So I usually go by Mr. Johnson, but I would like to be called Zoa now. My name is Zoa and I'm non-binary. So you can call me Mr. Zoa. You can call me Miss Zoa. You can call me Mix Zoa. That's M-X period. And I go by all pronouns. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks guys. Uh, that's it. All thank you. The thing is, though, he's not non-binary. He's a man. He's a crazy man who should not be teaching children. He's living in a delusion. He's encouraging a whole generation of kids to live in a delusion. His own classroom, but this is happening at the national level too. And that delusion, we all cheer it on now. Wow, I'm so proud of you. You're, you're exploring your fantasies, your delusions. Those delusions are going to have consequences and they ain't going to be good. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boren. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Matt Wall Show, a prominent psychologist suggests that white people should kill themselves while another worries that white people are haunted by the ghosts of whiteness, whatever that means. It's just more radical leftism for mental health professionals. The entire industry is rife with it. We'll talk about the consequences of that fact today. Also, Dr. Fauci endorses vaccine mandates for children and makes a predictably misleading argument in favor of them. We'll talk about all that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show.